electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the Bitcoin boom continues. The cryptocurrency taking another leg higher, reaching for $8,000. And Brian Kelly here says there's a new bull case for Bitcoin. He will tell us what that is. Plus, check out shares of Alphabet. The stock soaring, hitting all-time highs after its earnings report moments ago. The conference call is underway as we speak. And we've got full team coverage. Josh Lipton in San Francisco and Fast Money friend and tech guru Gene Munster is monitoring the conference call from the Red Phone in Minneapolis. We will check in with them in just a bit. Now, normally, Alphabet would be our top story. After all, if we don't mention one of the FANG stocks every 15 minutes, we might actually explode. But as incredible as Alphabet is and at the risk of spontaneously combusting, there was an even more stunning move in the market today that could have an even bigger impact on your money. Like the drummer in Spinal Tap. Yes. No. The rate shock heard around the world. The 10-year yield surging to its highest level in a month on reports that the Bank of Japan could be on the verge of a major policy change. This as everyone awaits the ECB decision this week, the Fed next week. Are we witnessing the potential end of free money around the world? And why aren't we seeing more of a reaction in the stock market today, Guy? Answer the first question is yes. I mean, Bank of Japan, I mean, that seems to be in a total about face, seemingly out of nowhere. I would submit, and Tim can speak to this probably more intelligently than I, I would submit it's on the back of some of the comments President Trump made over the last week, week and a half. But it, the reasons why probably don't matter, they will explain themselves. But the fact that they're getting away from the stimulus policy that's been in place for quite some time is alarming. It shocks me, to answer your second part of the question, that the markets don't seem to care. VIX actually went lower today. Stock market closes unchanged. And people continue on their merry way. I still submit, and I've been wrong now for a long time, but I think not necessarily central bank missteps but central bank, bank policy changes will put an end to this bull market well, at a certain point. And you did that very well, by the way, Guy. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, if you think about what central banks could be the, the most dangerous out there, it's not the Fed. Um, let's face it, the most manipulated bond curves in the world are, first of all, I think, in Europe. Although, if you look at what the BOJ has been doing, they've been yield targeting on the long end of the JGB curve, their government bond curve. And this is the second largest bond market in the world. So when you look at what's holding U.S. rates down, I actually think it's those other central banks. Now, I think there's a possibly decent or, or called a silver lining for markets is that I think this is going to put upward pressure on the end, as it did two days ago. I think it's going to put upward pressure on the euro because I think the central bank differentials will come back together, which means that the dollar is stuck here. And I think that's what President Trump wants. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, look at what happened today. We had a rise in 10-year yields. Basically, the big trade out there has been, listen, I can borrow cheaply someplace else, Japan. I can borrow in Europe at less than 1%. I can come over here and buy 10-year treasuries and get two and three quarters, the carry trade. It's, you know, it's been the huge trade out here. And as soon as that starts to unwind, then you get these big repercussions. Now, to answer your question why the stock market didn't react, we actually had some decent economic news here today, right? At least from my stance. We had Chicago Fed National Activity Index, one of the highest levels in a long time. If you look at the City Economic Surprise Index, it's below zero, which means maybe we're troughing here. So, you know, if rates raise, rise and you're getting a strong economy, that's not a bad thing. 
If rates rise and the economy's not strong, you're getting inflation, that type of thing, that's bad. But I think that's why stocks held up today. I don't think the market cares about trade. I don't think the market cares about rates to the point of, I think that Trump has put a lid onto Powell. So I don't, I don't think, uh, the markets are trying to interpret whether or not Powell's hands are tied. And I think that's what's going on. Well, here's, here's what I think. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the bond market, the Fed isn't really in control of the long end of the curve, okay? They control right. short end of rates, but what the 10-year does is out of their control. So the good news for banks here, and look how banks have basically responded to this, is you've seen some slight steepening of the yield curve. Let's not get carried away because the two years now back at 263, which is effectively at 10-year highs. But it does mean that you could see the curve steepen because if the long end is truly to respond, which it does to inflation, and that's why the financials that's what it have outperformed. And the question that is, does that friendly. continue? Though? Well, here's the question. I mean, let's game this out. Do we think that this is, this is actually a steepening that is here to stay? In other words, that the Bank of Japan will actually go through with paring back on stimulus and that, th that this rate dynamic is shocking. in play yeah. and the financials continue their run if it's temporary i would say the financials might not continue its i think run. it's temporary i think uh -huh. today gave air i think that our fed breathed a collective sigh of relief as this as this flattening yield curve unflattened for at least a day or two and maybe you'll see it happen for the next you know a week week and a half or so but i think a yield curve that has been flattening will continue to flatten over time so i'm not convinced that the bank of japan's policy actions can help our yield curve steepen but I would disagree with Steve a little bit. I think I don't necessarily think President Trump's comments tie the hands of Chairman Powell. What I think it did do is give President Trump an embedded put if the market were to go lower to say, I told well, I you back in July uh -huh. that this Fed was going right. to raise rates. Right. And there's it's a win-win for him, win -win but not necessarily for, for the markets. So, but exactly. no, right. I, I do mean, think it's a win-win for the markets, and that's why the markets are no, no, down. Listen, I, I, mean, I no. think that what they're I mean, saying is you don't want the market. The market does not want a Fed. That is, that is, their hands are tied. No, no, no. The market wants an independent Fed. There's is no way it's a win-win. What I'm saying right now is if the Fed continues on a rate-rising pace, it's because the economy is doing well and there's no real aftershocks from a trade war. If there's an aftershock from the trade war, the Fed can back up a little. So I think he's painted him into a corner, Powell, uh, unless, that, that he likes to unless be Unless the Fed is more boxed in to raising rates in December because of that President Trump tweet. Mm. No, right? I, I, I still, th I still think they're You know what, we're well, doing whatever we want. I, I tell you what, I, I think right now our Fed, fortunately, is an independent Fed. And, and I think there's, the jury of proof will be that actually they're responding to pressure from the White House. Look, there's been enough pressure on the Fed by other people to say, hey, you know what? Look at the yield curve flattening. You're moving too fast. And even though we do have inflationary pressure, and I think we do, um, I think you can make an argument that even you had Fed Powell twice last week in front of you know, Humphrey Hawkins' speech. You had a chance for him to try to, again, stay in his lane, but he got asked all the time about trade tariffs. He got asked about these exogenous factors. And the Fed responds to fiscal policy. They don't lead it. And I think that's what you're going to know about this Fed. The bigger concern is not so much the bond market. It's the currency markets. It's the currency war that started last week. And this could be a reaction to it. I mean, we saw the dollar drop in reverse today. If you get another strong dollar bout here, that's the biggest concern. The market can handle higher rates as long as there's growth. The market can't handle a higher dollar for too long. The higher the dollar goes, it's like the new VIX. The higher it goes, the more risk in the global system. Where were you and I last week around lunchtime? Remember, we did a TV show? Uh, the Pierre Hotel. What oh, were yes, we delivering Alpha. Oh, delivering Alpha. Doing Power Lunch. Yeah. Lunch time at the Pierre. Go delivering ahead. Alpha. Delivering 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 Al
some you huge business awesome. people were there. Yes. And what did I say? I mean, you're, you're always just in the gutter. So, yeah. Out of the gutter and back into financial Someone's got to Mary Erdos said that from J.P. Morgan Asset, they said the thing that concerns them at J.P. Morgan the is, <laughs> is the speed with which currencies are moving. There's Very frank about that. BK's on board. Bingo. You, that's, that's the biggest risk to the global market right now. A currency war is not a good thing for Comes anybody. Bear suit. But, but I tell you what, I just quickly say it. If you look around the world, fundamentals, which currency would you say is trading off of its mark? I, I, you know, to me, if any of them, it's probably the yen. All right. Well, surging rates sent the banks soaring today, which our next guest called less than two weeks ago on this very show. We know that the financials out of the gate with the big earnings reports were down hard, and yet it's their reversal that actually caused the reversal in the market, especially as tech started to falter. So my hunch is that they're telling us that we've actually had all the selling, at least for now, that we're going to have. Regional banks, very bad, but the big money center banks, quite good. It was a great call, and Chartmaster Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro is back at the plasma. So, Carter, where are banks going now? What does it mean for the markets? Right. Well, I mean, the key is that it is the big money center banks versus regionals. Uh, their outperformance is a function of their preceding underperformance. But first, let's look at 10-year uh, yields. Here's a chart. No judgments or annotations by me. I think one way to draw the lines is as follows. And what we know is you've come out of the apex of this very well-defined triangle, meaning a series of lower highs, higher lows, a moment of indecision, and then it comes to life. And that sort of breakout move, let's put that in the context of the BKX index, which is the KBW big banks. It hasn't quite broken out yet, but the presumption is that it will, right? So back to the yield chart. Again, this has broken out. The bet is that the banks will. Um, in terms of yields, and where we sit in relation to the long-term bottom. There is a lot of a prospect, right, that this is a major head and shoulders bottom. Uh, but we're at the neckline, and we've been stuck here. So do we actually really get above 3.15? I don't think so. My hunch is that we're just going to stay in this formation still a bit longer before ultimately attempting to go higher. But my, my real thinking is, is that rates really can never get much above 3.15, and that we've set the floor at sort of uh, 2.75, and that sometimes things are fair, fair price. And that's the case, I believe, with 10-year yields. And that's enough for banks to continue a bit higher. Carter comes over. Come on over, Carter. Has to. Carter Braxton, we're at the quarters of macro. Michelle, thank Star you for being here. Star of options action, by the way. Among other roles that he plays Man. in this yeah. network. Sorry, good. Um, so saying that the 10-year yield is capped, assuming that the Fed raises interest rates, that it sounds like that spread will narrow. So in terms of the spread, I mean, is that a different chart that you can well, chart? Well, it is a different chart. I mean, to, if you okay. looked at, oh, there's a couple of things. Look at the two 10-year. That was the biggest one-day move in about six months, up 7 8% in terms of the, the mean reversion. Presumptively, there's, there's more there. But I think the issue is this. Remember, banks were one of the worst areas of the market, banks and industrials, down 15% from their peak, whereas the S&P and tech and other areas have held up more. So to some extent, it's, it's a mean reversion trade. That was the initial principle. At some point, the mean reversion won't last much longer. But for now, we have momentum. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a money center bank. It's, it's J.B. Morgan, it's Bank America, it's Wells, it's Goldman. It's not so much the regionals and the super regionals. So, Carter, we have a lot of bank analysts come on and they say, listen, it's not about the yield curve with bank earnings. They can earn money in a flat yield curve. But your work suggests that the market really doesn't think that or doesn't care. Is that right? What's the difference well, that, I mean, between that and what you're seeing? Sort of, sort of, there, it all depends on your time frame, right? I mean, the, the time frame right now is that 
these oversold, sort of abandoned assets are being embraced. And in fact, after their initial earnings prints, which were weak, they followed through dramatically, presumptively because of rates. Long term, yes. I mean, if rates were back at 1.6, uh, banks don't profit in that kind of environment. But I think the rates move a bit higher, back towards, let's say, 2.8, well, maybe 3.05. We're at 2.95 today. Um, enough to keep the momentum going. So if financials can keep the momentum going and we have technology still pretty strong, I mean, does this just mean that we're set up to perhaps test those January highs in the S&P 500? I mean, right. isn't it so, just math that we have the two biggest sectors doing okay? And Right. And you, what you really need is the, the dead middle. So to think about, we've heard from staples, big move. We've heard from utilities, REITs, a lot of moves in energy. What we haven't heard from essentially are industrials, financials, and healthcare. And they collectively would need to all improve dramatically to basically exceed the highs of that Friday, January 26th. So you're saying no? Uh, I, my <laughs> hunch is we remain stuck in the goalposts of the peak of Friday, January 26th and the low of February 9th. All right. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Carter Braxton, we're at the Cornerstone Macro. Do you agree with Carter in terms of the goalposts? So I, I think that when I look at the S&P cash chart, I see a couple of drawdowns anywhere from 2 to 4% since April. I'm looking for another drawdown of that. It's going to be pretty hard to do with large cap tech reporting this week, but I still am looking for a drawdown that gets us down to around the 100-day moving average, maybe even the 200-day moving average. So I'm looking to sell the markets into strength. See, I got to tell you, I don't think industrials have been giving us bad numbers. I think the market's been punishing them based upon a perception either of where they are in the cycle of the economy, where they are in the cycle of some of their underlying businesses. So, again, you've got GM reporting on Wednesday. I think they're going to they're not going to blow you away, but all they need to do is reaffirm that they're going to make six fifty a share. And you're going to realize just how strong this business is and how cheap this company is. That's the story with industrials. They're, they're doing fine. I think there's a major double top in XLF. We've talked about it going back to 07, 30 and a half, 31. That was a recent high in XLF. It sold off. It's trading 28 now. To me, you've got to get through there. But if you're looking for a cheap bank, even tangible book in City is 62 means it's trading at 1.15 price to tangible book. A lot of people think City's the cheapest one out there. All right, coming up, check out shares of Alphabet. The stock soaring to an all-time high in the after-hour session. The conference call is underway right now. Fast Money friend Gene Munster will join us with instant reaction right after the break. Plus, is it a race for cash for Tesla? Reports circling that the electric vehicle maker may be in more trouble than we think. But the automaker disputed some of that today. We'll separate fact from fiction. And later, Bitcoin is back, surging toward $8,000. And our very own crypto baller here says there is a new bull case for Bitcoin. What could it be? BK will tell us. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Alphabet soaring to an all-time high in the after hours after crushing earnings. In the past hour, it's added nearly $50 billion in market cap. So we've now got two out of the four FANG stocks reporting. So far, it's a mixed bag. As you rem remember, Netflix is down 9% from the time of its report. Alphabet here surging. So is Google 
a buy, Grasso? Yeah, I still think it's a buy. You know, when you look at revenue streams, it says Google, 109 billion, 109.7 billion. Then you look at other bets, 1.2 billion. Still not enough to move the needle, but no one complains about valuation. Whenever you look at mega cap tech stocks, everyone thinks valuation is a problem. This is one that you'll never run into a valuation problem. Look, bottom line is you're growing 20% a year on a multiple that's right around there. So, you know, that is the story on Google. And, and no one is more focused on innovation, especially in terms of their core ad business. I think what's going on at YouTube, you're seeing improved ROIs. The Waymo business, I think it's early stages and it's not moving the needle. But this is another example of this company becoming a core part of our lives while we weren't even paying attention. Look at Android. I mean, you know, so, yes, and that supports the, ego, the, the Google the ecosystem, and I think they continue to do it. But generally, I don't like buying things that are up at all-time highs and gapping higher. But if you think about this, people were concerned about Europe and what was going to happen with the rule changes there for advertising. Was that going to impact Google? And it appears that it actually impacted it positively. So perhaps that's a moat now. So now you've got some investors that may be offside, plus a really good fundamental tailwind. I actually think you do buy this one up. All right. Well, for more on Alphabet, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures, who's been monitoring the conference call on that red phone you see there from Minneapolis. Hey, Gene. So what are the headlines so far in your view? Well, you talked about that revenue growth. I think that's critical because as investors, as an analyst who followed this for many years, that was always the piece that was going to start to decelerate was that revenue growth. But quickly putting it in perspective, they grew revenue at 14% in 2015, and then it stepped up to 20, 23%. In the last couple of quarters, 25%. So we've had this steady increase in the face of law of large numbers. What that means is investors can rest comfortably knowing that Google is, in fact, the oxygen of the Internet. The second big takeaway is around TAC. That has been a needle in investors' side over the past few quarters as that's been increasing. It moderated. Uh, they did say that it could increase in the future, but it did moderate in the reported quarter. And then the third uh, piece to this is what they're doing around what's happening in Europe and the greater regulation. And it didn't come up until the fifth question, but the CEO, Sundar, basically dodged the analyst and said that he doesn't know how that they're going to navigate. They're working on it, obviously, how to navigate some of these potential changes in the impact to Android. Not a big negative on that last. The comfortable, clear takeaway is this revenue growth story continues firmly intact. Was that question specifically about the fine related to its Android operating system, or was that regulation exactly. in general? Okay, so specifically that fine. It was, when it comes to the GDPR and the impact on, I mean, there was some thinking uh, that the larger platforms would actually see a benefit over the smaller platforms because of GDPR. Did they address that at all? Can, I mean, have they confirmed that they actually have been a beneficiary of that? No, all he would say is that it was just rolled out recently and said that it did, remains determined. He did say that it is going to have a significant impact on Google and their partnerships, but obviously the revenue growth in the June quarter would support that things are fine. But uh, really the two big questions about this GDPR or how the European Union is going to weigh in, those were left largely unanswered in the Q&A. Gene, you look at paid clicks up 58%, which is a staggering number. She was looking for, I think, 50, 49%, and cost per click down 22%. It seems like they dominate. They, they have Amazon-like in terms of their dominance. Why don't they get a value? I'm not suggesting they get an Amazon valuation, but why don't they get a valuation that I think they deserve? I think it comes back to this uh, expectation that growth is going to deteriorate. Valuations based on what the future growth is. And every quarter that they continue to show that, in fact, they can keep growing, I think that that multiple is going to, uh, in fact, inch up. 
As you said, the paid click number was impressive. The uh, other piece to, I think, improving the valuation is to start to show some lift in the cost per lift, how much they're getting paid, which that number has been consistently a little bit below expectations. So I think the combination of continued revenue growth plus a little bit of an uptick in uh, CPC would be a formula for a much higher multiple. Um, what's your grade on the quarter at this point, Gene? So far, A minus. It was uh, at all-time highs. In order to get to all-time highs, it has to start with an A handle, but reluctant, given the call is still going on, to give it a straight-out A. All right. Gene, thank you. Get back on that red phone. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Um, Tim, what sort of multiple do you think Amazon, uh, not Alphabet should I, I, have? I, I, first, I wish, wish Gene was my professor in college. I got to tell you. I mean, that, you no, think he's inflating the grade? No, you know what? <laughs> because here's what Gene said that I think is the most important. The fact that they're growing their top line, if there's a little margin compression, that's the most important thing for a company that at times, if it was a year, year and a half ago, people were questioning whether they could do it. I think the impact on network in terms of Google network on GDPR and on the European Union is going to be real. And I don't think it really matters. I, I think the bottom line is these guys continue to dominate where they spit. And I think they're going to continue to be there. I think the fine leading into this print, mm -hmm. as BK, BK touched on, was the real unknown. And I think that's why you saw the stock pop, because I think people got out of it thinking that you were going to see some sort of verbal uh, addressment of it or maybe something hidden that people weren't seeing. So I do think you're seeing an overreaction in the pop. Maybe it settles back in. But it is amazing to me that if you would have bought the handful of these names that are responsible for all the profitability that we've seen in the marketplace and just bought them and shut up, you would have a killer portfolio. And I've traded in and out of these names, but I should have held on to the Amazon, to the Google, to the Facebook. Facebook, by the way, is up 1.3% in the after-hour session. So, Chris, yeah, you're I telling think, yourself you know, to shut up. Yes. You, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, you mentioned the fact that some of the bigger platforms may have an easier time. The thing about the GDPR rules or any regulations that come along is they impact everybody. So everybody's going to have the same type of struggle. Everybody's going to have the same type of cost. And companies like Facebook and Google, Alphabet, will be able to absorb those costs a lot better. And I think that's what you're starting to see here in this quarter. Should trade closer with 30 multiple. Give them a 28 multiple on $48 next year. You have a $1,344 stock, which is still significantly higher than it is now, to answer your original question. Thank you. Coming up, we've got more on Alphabet. We'll tell you what Wall Street is saying about the quarter. Get the first reaction from a number of analysts. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's just Bitcoin. And something happened today that suggests there could be more gains to come. We'll break it down. Plus, one surging industrial is up 9% in one month. And Guy Adami says it's going even higher. He'll give you the name in his fast pitch when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Bitcoin breakout continues. Yes, it's continuing as the cryptocurrency approaches 8,000. So what is behind this move? Our Bob Pisani is live at the NYSE with the latest. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. The Bitcoin sitting at the highest level since the end of May. It's up over 30% since bottoming at 5,700. That was the end of June. Bitcoin bulls are pinning their hopes for more gains on a Bitcoin ETF getting approval by the SEC. Really? A Bitcoin ETF was filed by the CBOE back on June 26. And back by Van Eck, this is a reapplication new form of an old one that was rejected last year. It's got some bells and whistles, but it's essentially the old one. Because the SEC typically takes 45 days to make a decision, a lot of people are assuming that we'll get a decision on or before August 15th or so. Now, there's no doubt that a positive verdict 
would lead to another run-up in Bitcoin. But don't hold your breath on this. I don't think so. I've interviewed both the chairman of the SEC, Jay Clayton, and the man in charge of Bitcoin policy at the SEC, and both have made it clear to me they are taking a go-slow approach on the whole Bitcoin ETF thing. Clayton is not going to take the risk of getting hauled in front of Congress on charges he allowed mom and pop to lose money on Bitcoin, at least not in 2018, even if the price of this particular ETF is very high. My guess is that the SEC will not deny the request, but they will extend the comment period. That's the ruling that would cause the least friction and the most likely path here. They will cite their previous security concerns about break-ins and thefts of wallets, along with allegations of manipulation they've stated before. By the way, there's also some very real custodian questions that have not exactly been settled here. But other parts of the Bitcoin juggernaut keep rolling on. Coinbase has formed a political action committee to raise money to spend on U.S. elections. They said that back on Friday night. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. So is the Bitcoin rally here to stay? Our crypto baller, BK, hopes so. <laughs> He's made his way over to the plaza to give us his latest bull case. Beaks. Yeah, for sure. I definitely hope so. And I also hope there's an ETF. But I'm with Bob on this. I think the chances of an ETF in 2018 are relatively low. There's still quite a few things. But that doesn't stop speculation on that. And that's one reason why we've seen this uh, bottoming process here from 5,800 all the way up here. Number two institutions are starting to get serious. I can tell you from the calls that I'm getting, people that looked at it in December, didn't like the price, are coming back now and saying, all right, this thing is not going away. We need to understand what it is. Where does this asset class fit into our portfolio? And this weekend, you saw a report that Coinbase has potentially secured a $20 billion hedge fund for their custody service. So then number three, what are the institutions seeing? Web 3.0 is here. And you ask BK, well, what's Web 3.0? Why do I even care? And how does Bitcoin fit in? Guess what? BK's got a chart for you here. So let's take a look at the next chart here. This outlines the different types of, let me just erase this here. The different types of web. So we had web 1.0. That was the very beginning. That was basically like a big global library. Everything that were in books got dumped into a giant database we call the internet. Then we had web 2.0. Companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, they gave you a global publishing platform. You now could create content and put it into that giant database we call the internet. And here we are in web 3.0. And what we're doing is we're moving from a database to a data bank. And what does that mean? The data that is in the internet is valuable. We found that out. Look at Google's earnings. You think they earned that off of just selling ads? They earned it because there's data there. They're selling data and they're monetizing it via ads. Web 3.0 is the new internet, an improved internet where that data can be monetized. How do you send something of value across an open network like the internet? with a cryptocurrency, and that is exactly why institutions are starting to get into this. They're seeing how this fits into a portfolio of Web 3.0 stocks. BK, I totally agree with Web 3.0, but I'm also a trader, and I, I feel like the reason Bitcoin is higher is because people are more comfortable buying at 7,800 than they are at 6,000, and they'll probably be more comfortable at 10,000. Uh, it's a very reflexive market, very similar to gold, right? The more valuable it becomes, the more valuable it becomes. And that's very true for Bitcoin, for gold, and for other currencies. So the three reasons why you said this bullish breakout could be different or is here to stay, those are the same three reasons that you could have said five months ago or in December. Why are they more real today versus before when Bitcoin was on a decline still? 
well, you know, the madness of crowds is something we try to figure out all the time, but I would suggest that five months ago we had some headwinds. Remember, we had multiple different bouts of tax selling. We had Mount Gox trustee selling. There were a lot of big sellers out there. That appears to be over, and so now you've had this positive news flow, and I talked about it when we were at 5,800. Shock! I was shocked that people weren't getting it, and sometimes it just takes the market a little bit to catch up, and here we are, and I don't think it's done. All right, Beeks, thanks for that. Yep. Well, it's not just crypto that's surging. Check out the cannabis stocks, Canopy Growth, Aurora Cannabis, Med Relief, all rolling in the green today. Shares of oh. Tilray, the first U.S. pot stock that went public last week, keeps going higher. Get it. Uh, the no, stock price at 17 bucks closed today at $29, so nearly a double. While today, yeah. Acreage Holdings, yes, uh, the pot business backed by former White House Speaker John Boehner, closed a $119 million funding round and plans to go public. So, Tim, what do you make? Well, good for the acreage guys. In fact, Bill Weld, who's another guy on their board, sat right next to me and talked about the legislative process, which I think is turning a lot faster. It doesn't mean full descheduling. I think there's going to be a, a reality check that a lot of these great companies and a lot of these states need the ability to do commerce. And I think the federal government may step in and do that. Uh, but again, Tilray, uh, U.S. listing, big deal last Friday. In fact, Cowan was on that one. So Dave, Dave Seabrook knows about that deal. But ultimately, this is a space where you have the global story. There's rumors that there's a med shortage in Australia. We're hearing actually that the rec program in, in, in Canada is going to leave for shortages. So right now, between the capital markets activity, the true end demand, and the legislative process, the asset class is going higher. Agreed. GW Pharma, we power pitched that a while back, and they report, I think, on August 7th. Listen, the science works. I mean, we can make all the marijuana jokes you want about them going higher and play that Smoke, bong hits sure, and yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. But the reality is... <laughs> Still sounds like a toilet yeah. to me, but... Noted. The science behind these work, and people are starting to understand it, and they're getting away from the, the marijuana aspects, and they're realizing it's going to disrupt pharma, it's going to disrupt Let's just call spirits. it cannabis. Let's just call it cannabis, Cannabis, guys. yeah. Can we just cannabis. call it cannabis? That's, that's I mean, seriously, call. It, it incorporates the full implications of what's going on, both socially Medical and, and yeah. recreationally and mm -hmm. medically. All right, yeah. coming up. If you are just joining us, Alphabet hitting an all-time high in the after-hour session. We'll tell you about the one big thing, or the one thing about the quarter that has all of Wall Street talking. Plus, Tesla shares skidding back into bear market territory today. On reports, the company is scrambling for cash. Is another capital raise just around the corner? We will explain. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to uh, Fast Money. Tesla shares falling 3% today, skidding back into bear market territory and reports the company is asking suppliers for a break on parts. CNBC's Phil Abou is in Chicago with the very latest on this. Phil. And Melissa, this was a stock that was under pressure pretty much all day long, and here's the reason why. There was a report late yesterday from the Wall Street Journal, and that really sparked the sell-off. Essentially, the report said that Tesla had sent a memo out to some of its suppliers basically asking for cash back as part of the negotiation over investments those suppliers have been making into development of, of products and uh, key components for, for Tesla. And when you look at that report, people immediately said, wait a second, what's interesting here is the wording that suggests Tesla was linking those efforts with the ability to be profitable in the second half of this year. That's what pushed the shares lower. Tesla responded to our inquiry saying, did you say this? Did you say, we need to make this deal in order to be profitable? Tesla responded by saying, we asked fewer than 10 suppliers for a reduction in total CapEx project spend for long-term projects that began in 2016 but are still not complete. And any changes with these suppliers would improve our future cash flows but not impact our ability to achieve profitability in the third quarter. 
We're not going to talk about the stock here. We're going to talk about the Tesla bonds. And the reason we're showing you Tesla bonds and that spike in yield is because that's what worries people. When you start talking about the ability for improving your profitability through these negotiations, that's what has spooked not only the Tesla stock investors, but also the bond investors. And you saw that with the move that uh, we see in the bond yields uh, rising up as uh, bond investors are clearly worried. Guys, Tesla reports earnings on August 1st. And one last thing I should point out. I've talked with a number of people in the auto industry, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody says the same thing. This is common between automakers and suppliers. They're always going back and forth at each other. And sometimes the negotiations can be pretty vicious, but rarely do they spill out into the public. It's the fact that this one went public and also because of this suggestion or the wording Right. linking this to profitability. That's why this has become a story today. Did Tesla actually show you the memo itself, Bill? No. I'm just wondering what, the, no. you know, was it a matter of interpretation um, in terms of how right. the journal read the memo? Um, I, don't, I guess Correct. Not, well, you know, gonna... I have not seen the, the memo myself. Yeah. And so, but, but I can tell you this, that um, it is the wording there. When I talked with a couple of people in the auto industry, one person who has seen the memo, they said, I'm not sure I would have worded it that way. Oh, um, but at the same time, they sat there and they said, look, this is common between automakers and their suppliers. This is not a Tesla-specific issue. Right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau joining us uh, from Chicago. Very busy Dan is beat. Um, by the way, um, Phil was showing us the bonds, the yields on Tesla. They've got a lot of convertibles. Um, coming due. $230 million worth of convertibles in November if the stock doesn't hit $560. Uh, $920 million in converts uh, next March if the stock isn't at three fifty nine eighty seven. Yeah, I think, look, I think the credit markets have been the, the greatest tell on the stock. And they, as we say often on the show, I mean, credit markets are usually ahead of the equity guys. Um, I, I will say that, yes, it's easy to make a lot out of this, this article. Um, you know, one interpretation from the street who also hadn't seen the memo said, we thought the language implied that it was essential that the suppliers actually cut a deal. And that's what got them a little bit more concerned. Again, an interpretation by a large analyst on the street. Uh, but the credit Supply terms essentially are critical to automakers' balance sheets. There's no question about that. So I break it down a couple of ways. So Phil said that it is common that they do this. Elon Musk says that he's a car maker now. He does. We want. We wanted him to be a technology company. I, I'm. A, I'm still long the name. I'm holding it. I thought today was constructive. Closing above 300 was constructive to me. What uh, What I'm fearful of is what you just said. We have to raise money. They have to raise money. This is going to take place, whether. Uh, the bulls like it or not, there's got to be a raise. But that used to and I not think be a big trying, deal, Steve. I think I mean, he's trying to pull to every money in the worst of. But they, they should be money able over and over again. It's a different over time. And over again. I think it's a different. Well, but you what think that, that if the company the went out now? to market overnight and did some sort of private, play, whatever it is, that they wouldn't be able to raise money to cover this obligations? Credit market's still open to them. We had one little spike here in the bonds. I mean, nobody thinks that that this is a company that's supposed to be making profit. This is a company that you're buying. Elon Musk. That's what the but investors in this cost are, are. He thinks so, he I wants mean, a car company, though. Higher. That's well, the problem. What's wrong with being a car company? Because I want him to be Elon Musk, like you said. I want it to be a growth name. Because you don't want to have a GM multiple. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, it's... I, 
I, I, listen, all I know is there you look, go. Just That's look. The whole here's the point. Here. Look at the top Besides holders that. in the stock. No, look at the top holders in the stock. They are not short-term people. They don't care whether it's a car company. They don't care what next quarter's earnings are going to be. They're in it for the long haul. Ron Barron said he wants to earn five, ten times as money on it. He'll come in but and buy those bonds when he needs to. That aren't, that's not how debt holders behave. The, the credit market, market cre no, no question they're open. My concern would be would the stock react as well as it had in the past uh. to a capital raise? I don't know if in this environment it will. I've said now for a week, and listen, we've been going back and forth on this. I think the fact that it continues to make lower highs is concerning. I think we all may agree with that. And I think 280 is a level that it seems to want to sort of, in this case, instead of levitate, gravitate towards. All right. Still ahead. Alphabet hitting an all-time high in the after-hour session following a big earnings beat. We'll hear from the C-suite and get instant reaction from the street. Plus, Guy here stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one under-the-radar industrial name that's already up nearly 10% in just the past month. <laughs> the name and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in March, Guy stepped up to the plate to pitch Cleveland Cliffs. At this level, it's too compelling to ignore, and there is a high short interest. What does that mean? I don't think President Trump is going to back down from this tariff thing for quite some time, which means the shorts in this sector are going to be forced to cover. The stock closed today at $7.75. I think Credit Suisse just put a $9 price target. If it gets there, that's a 14% move. I think it can go higher than that. Guy was crushed right. it. Since that call, Cleveland Cliffs up 40%. So what do oh. you do with it now? Well, I got to tell you, we, we didn't really crush it. If you looked, I mean, the stock went higher the next day. A week later, the stock was trading below 7 bucks. So, I mean, we got it right in retrospect. But the steels were under a lot of pressure there March into April. But it worked out. J.P. Morgan just put a $15 price target on it. They're probably being aggressive. The quarter was very good. So I say stay with all the steel names. All right. Well, Cleveland Cliffs was a home run. Nice so job. why don't you give us another fast pitch guy. Head over to the plasma. Well, you know, home runs, fast pitch, power so pitches. Whatever, it's but all baseball, I'm gonna, I'm gonna right? head over. You know, when I was a kid, I was a kid once, hard to believe, but I like playing with <laughs> trains, model trains, Lionel trains, right? Why do I bring that up? Because if you look now, CSX, basically all-time high. Union Pacific, basically all-time high. Norfolk Southern, basically all-time high. All relatively large valuations. So what do you do? You go downstream. Where do you go? Slide it, Earl. Thank you. You go to Trinity Industries. They service the rail sector. They report, I believe, after the close on the 25th. Nine times trailing, 20 times forward. Not a ridiculous valuation in this space. The, the economy continues to grow. What does it mean? Rail demand continues to grow. Huge increase in rail demand. I think it's going to manifest itself this quarter. Last one, huge stock buyback. They're buying back an inordinate amount of shares. Their market cap is not significant, but they're buying back a lot of stock. What does it mean? It means they believe in their company. I think they've paid a dividend the last 217 quarters. Great balance sheet. If you believe that the economy is doing better, if the railroads are telling you something, it means you've got to go downstream and you've got to go to Trinity Industries. I'm sure we have a chart somewhere, and if we are, ah, see that? So we're bouncing up against levels we last saw right around here. Oh, sorry about that, folks. There you go. <laughs> what do I think is going to happen? I think we're going to take out that previous high in a meaningful way. I think this stock has a $40 handle on it in the short-term future, Mel. 
So, Guy, when you talk about going downstream, this is a marketplace that rewards the leaders, punishes the laggards. So why do you think that this is not going to be that, that case this time with this stock? Could be. They could surprise. But i got to tell you something. Go back in their history and see they have a history of earning surprises to the upside. I believe the um, options market is pricing in about a 6.5% move. In this environment, given what the rails have done, I would bet that 6.5% is to the upside. I think this is sort of 75% in your favor. I think you ask a good question. But I think the environment we find ourselves lends this stock to go higher into and post earnings. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Guy Dami's pitch on Trinity Industries? Grasso, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, he made a convincing argument. I do like the uh, technicals looking down at my computer. I like the way it took out a couple of the previous highs. I do believe that it can move higher from here. Beeks? Yeah, for me, choo-choo, you get on that train. I think this thing's a buy. I mean, I started the show talking about the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, which is riveting TV, I know, but the economy's getting better. You buy Trinity. Tim. I tell you what, I hate to do this, my friend, and you are my friend, Guy. But ultimately, I think if there's an industry that's got a bullseye on its back from tariffs and rising steel and aluminum prices, I think it's these guys. I think margins are going to go down. I think it's going to be a difficult time. If we stay on the course, if we stay on these tracks, Guy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Two buys, one sell. The desk has spoken. We want to know, though, if you at home are buying Guy's pitch for Trinity. The stock is up, by the way, more than 3% right now. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We've got the results later on in the show. Plus, Alphabet's soaring to an all-time high in the after-hours session. We'll tell you what was just said on the conference call. That's got Wall Street pushing the buy button. And let's get a sneak peek into Mad Money, the studio here with our Kramer Cam. Tonight, Jim is sitting down with the Hasbro CEO after the stock soared today on earnings. That is top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alphabet crushes on earnings. So what is the fast take from Wall Street analysts? Josh Lipton is in San Francisco with the very latest. Hi, Josh. Melissa, the street is now weighing in, and no surprise, they seem pleased. Colin Sebastian over at Bayer telling his clients, Google advertising revenue growth outpaced consensus expectations, while operating profitability also benefited from moderation in tech. Over at SunTrust, Yousef Scully saying top line came in comfortably ahead of street expectations, reflecting sustained strong advertisers' demand, unhindered by regulatory headwinds and GDPR. And finally, Dan Eyes over at GBH, we believe Q2 advertising and bread-and-butter search revenues were healthy and a good barometer of potential strength heading into the rest of 2018 and 2019. Now, on the call, CEO Sundar Pichai feeling questions about a range of topics, including the cloud business. Take a listen. On cloud, uh, you know, I think we are investing for the long run. Uh, we are definitely seeing, uh, seeing traction. A uh, lot of our effort, you know, from a product and technology standpoint, we are uh, definitely there and differentiated. Uh, it's it's been a lot about investing uh, in our go-to-market efforts, and and as we do it, both uh, developing our in-house strengths, but as well as partnering, uh, those things are beginning to pay dividends. So you didn't hear a lot of hard numbers there, though he did mention some wins here. He mentioned Domino's. He mentioned Price Waterhouse. He said Target is migrating key areas of its business uh, to cloud, uh, to Google Cloud Platform as well. Of course, we know cloud services do demand big upfront investments. CapEx in the quarter, $5.5 billion, well ahead of the street, which was at $4.2 Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Josh Lipton. Uh, in the past, 
Google has been punished for their CapEx and the amount of CapEx they will spend. They are also spending a lot of, or they have spent a lot in CapEx. This time around, though, it's perfectly accepted by the street because of the beats. We don't care size. about margin. Yeah. We, we got the top line in their core matter. business. And meanwhile, you know, somewhere you have to start thinking about some of the other guys. We're given a lot of credit in cloud. Um, you know, I, Amazon, obviously, Microsoft. But I think this is a very important. Listen to those clients. They're coming. So is this a, a good read through for the Microsofts of the world, the CRMs, any of the cloud anything companies? That, anything that you can apply cloud to, that's something that's intangible that everyone always underestimates and it always gets a higher multiple. So I do think it's a good read through for the rest of that space. So if there is a risk, it's that there are a lot of competitors now in the cloud space. And to your point, there may be some margin compression if that. The market doesn't care about it today, but I put that on the back burner. It's like, hey, you know, I might want to worry about this at some point. It's just not tomorrow. All right. Well, sticking with Fang stocks, Facebook, as we mentioned before, up more than 1% in the after-hour session on the back of Alphabet's earnings, hitting a fresh all-time high. Options traders are betting on even more gains when it reports earnings on Wednesday. So Mike goes in San Francisco with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Sure. So, you know, the options market's implying a move of about five and a half percent in Facebook by the end of the week. That's slightly smaller in percentage terms than the six and a half percent that it typically moves on earnings. But perhaps that's not surprising, given the market cap of the company at over 600 billion, that five and a half percent would represent a more than 30 billion dollar market cap swing. And where we saw most of the activity was in the weekly 215 and 220 calls. The 215s were the most active. Most of that was the result of buys, multiple buys of the 215. 220 call spread. They were paying anywhere from $1.50 to $1.75 for that. So that suggests that the options market is implying that that 5.5% move is going to be to the upside, targeting that 220 or higher price by the end of the week. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Mike. You know, Guy, what we saw with Netflix when they missed on the sub numbers is we thought, oh, you know what, maybe the rest of the thing will trade along with it. But it traded idiosyncratically, which seemed to be a good thing. It is, will we see know, the same, or will the halo be stronger than the downside? It is a good a thing. I mean, it was Netflix-specific, and Netflix got punished, although not nearly as much as I thought it was going to get punished. Yeah. And the rest of these stocks have traded in kind. It should be stock-specific, in my opinion. Will this drag up? It shouldn't have any effect on Netflix. But the extent that people put these things in a bucket, maybe it gives a floor to Netflix. I thought Netflix would print 304, the level that we saw in April into the quarter. Didn't get that close. I mean, maybe Netflix is impervious as well. All right. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. You know, to play Tony Braxton would actually be an insult to Tony Braxton because that vote was really bad. So instead, it is Celine Dion time because guys all buy himself for his passion for Trinity Industries. That's a ripoff of Eric Carmen. Thank you. <laughs> no, you're missing the point. The you, point is that it was no you resounding. You were so bad that we that, could come exactly. up with a, with a new, new song. New song, not good song, but important. time for the final oh. trade. Tim. Okay, MLPs. The FERC ruling is great on tax deductions, volume, and drilling. Go MLPs. Speakers. You know what? Bond market move today. Banks look good. Regional banks look excellent. Tesla, stay with it. Key. God awful. You're feeling bad? No, I'm not. I feel great. Eric Carmen is a nice version of that. That'll get you done, Eric Carmen. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. Be back here tomorrow at 5 for Fast Mad Money, which Jim Kramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 